back for another week. Scoop Duck and High Five. My name's Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins. And, uh, well, you hear some stuff in the background. Justin's at a soccer game. I'm in my studio here in Beaverton. And we want to talk about one of the craziest finishes to an Oregon football game in my lifetime. Oregon goes to the Palouse. They steal a W. Mace Funa with that pick six in crunch time. How about it? Let's start here, Justin Hopkins. I want to have a hypothetical with you. Oregon scores 29 in the fourth, and they come back and win. Let's pretend that doesn't happen. If they don't score that 29, what's your reaction to the game Saturday? Yeah, I mean, that's totally reasonable, right? Because, I mean, let's be real. If you just kind of go over the flow of the game, you know, Oregon shouldn't have won that game, right? I mean, they just – they were kind of – you know, take it for granted in the red zone and, and kick it field goals instead of getting touchdowns. And, and, you know, we've always talked about this in reverse, you know, you'll trade field goals for touchdowns any day. And, you know, and I'm sure that that's what Washington state was thinking early on in the game as well. So um, yeah, you know, Oregon should have won. And I, I like, I would have loved to seen like, you know, ESPN always has those graphics or whatever of like, you know, percent chance to win. And, you know, they're always updating it every every possession or whatever. And, you know, I'm sure prior to the, the touchdown there, Oregon was probably down around like 6% chance to win or something. And uh, it says a lot about that team. I think, you know, in my opinion, I think Washington State is a good team. I think they're, you know, in the upper end of the Pac-12. Um, but I also think this, I also think that they they absolutely unloaded the kitchen sink at Oregon. I mean, trick plays, anything they could think of, um, Cameron Ward played an amazing football game. Um, I think they absolutely came at Oregon with everything they had, and somehow it still wasn't enough, which really says a lot about Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, it says a lot about Oregon. I think we learned a lot about Wazoo on Saturday as well. What, what stood out to me, the offense was incredible, 600-plus in total offense. Uh, another amazing weekend for Bucky Irving Bo Nix I thought pick six aside or interception aside that was a really good game three touchdowns one pick has the uh the 50 yarder to Troy Franklin in crunch time I I just love the ability of this Oregon team to win a shootout like that (laughs) when's the last time Oregon won a shootout yeah I think uh you know I think Bo Nix continues to take um, a little bit of criticism that, that shouldn't be warranted. I know, you know, when he threw that pick six, people were, you know, melting down. Oh, Bo Nix on the road, can't get it done, yada, yada. Um, and I tell you what, it takes one hell of a bravada to throw that, make that mistake, you know, know that that really, you know, cost your team and then get back out there and rally. Just really, you know, had the, had the mind, uh, the memory of a goldfish, uh, you know, went back out there, made some plays, kept moving the ball, kept getting them into the uh, red zone. Um, and and really, at, after that play, played, you know, relatively flawless football. So um, I, I just, I, you know, I just think Oregon fans are kind of taking for granted the quarterback play that they're that they're experiencing. Almost like, hey, we're used to having Marcus Mariota and Justin Herbert. And it's like, uh, have you guys remembered the last like three years of quarterback played Oregon it's been really tough you know so it's it's refreshing to have somebody like Bo Nix 
uh, playing at the level he is, but also just kind of reminding yourself that this is a transfer as a guy that just came in and he's playing really good football. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to take away from Anthony Brown's magnum opus in Columbus, right? Ducks beat the Buckeyes last year because he played the game of his life. He'll always have that. Um, but Bo Nix, 33 of 44, 428, three touchdowns, does have that nasty pick, but three touchdowns plus the 50-yarder to Troy Franklin that really stood out to me, and that rope to Bucky Irving in the fourth quarter, I believe on a fourth down play. Um, incredible performance by Bo Nix, and and I, I want to put that up there. To me, that's as good as the best Justin Herbert games, the best Vernon Adams games. That's up there in terms of quarterback performance since Marcus Mariota. Well, it's up there, you know, and I know, you know, if you make that kind of comment, fans are going to jump on you about it. But let's be real in terms of games played in the Palouse at Pullman on the road, you know, it gets a team that's fired up to play against you. You know, that's really just kind of circled. You could tell they'd circled that game. You know, they knew Oregon was coming and they needed to be prepared. And, you know, again, they unloaded the absolute kitchen sink uh, at Oregon, especially defensively. Yeah. Um, and, and it takes, in my mind, it takes a very, very special quarterback to, you know, be able to take all of that and about halfway through make a really bad mistake and still push through it. It, it says a lot about his moxie. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, early in the year, did you think Ty Thompson would steal any snaps? No, I, I didn't. I was, you know, probably one of the few, if not the only that was pretty, you know, consistent with, you know, Hey guys, Bo Nix is the guy, Bo Nix is the guy, Bo Nix is the guy. Um, and it wasn't where I was, you know, speaking negatively towards Ty Thompson, it's just clear that one of those two guys was above the other. And, you know, I mean, let's be real. I, I, I think it's a little early in Ty Thompson's career to think that, you know, he uh, not only would it be difficult for him to play at that level in the road, um, you know, if he'd gone out and made a mistake or two similar to Bo Nix, you just kind of wonder if he'd be able to, to uh, rebound. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't want to call in an, an indictment on Ty Thompson, but it's pretty clear to me that he's not ready. It's pretty clear to me that he's got a little bit more work to do. But again, here we are, we're in September. Uh, you got about, you know, 10, 11 months before you might need to count on him for next year. So that's a ton of time for him to develop and get better and get a better understanding of the offense as well. Yeah. So you had Nix's back. I'll fully admit I didn't. I, I said after the Georgia game, you had nothing to lose with Thompson. 49 to 3. Thompson could have done better than that. I, I will stand by that. But I will also say, now after watching what Bo Nix just did on the Palouse, Ty Thompson couldn't have done that. The 29 points in the fourth, 33 of 44. And again, I think of that incredible throw to Bucky Irving. Like, I know I know that's not the touchdown play, but to me, that's the play that won the game for Oregon. Yeah, I mean, if you don't convert that and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, without the benefit of all 22 film we don't know if somebody else was was a little more open uh maybe maybe it was just hey get it to bucky he's going to be the guy and that's you know where Bo was told to look wasn't necessarily as open maybe as you would like but 
I mean, let's be honest. That he literally made the only throw that would get through there uh, to Bucky Irving. Bucky, Bucky was relatively well covered, and and give you know Bucky credit for making the catch as well because that was a really tough, tightly contested catch. But you know that's what playmakers do, right? They know that it's fourth and two. They know they need a conversion. They know that that needs to happen, and you know so maybe you put a little extra, you know. Uh, uh, concentration into it maybe it just you know tur- dial the effort up that much more um and like you said that that really was one of the biggest if not the biggest but one of the biggest plays for for bo nix in that game yeah. and he and 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 it's hard to pinpoint one because he made so many of them yeah and talking about big plays i i've harped on this one a couple of times how about the big play by troy franklin he finishes five catches 137 yards and the 50 burger at the end to seal it yeah uh i mean that that was my guy that was my lock of the week you know troy franklin uh was gonna be big i felt that i i felt that if i was washington state i would make a a very big effort to stop or slow down oregon's rushing attack i think i think that's the smart way to try and play oregon um at least in terms of of how washington state was set up defensively uh, it's clear that that was, you know, Oregon said, hey, we know that you're going to try and do that, but we're still going to run the ball and make you respect it. But certainly you could see that the plays to Troy Franklin or Chase Coda or you name the receiver, Dante Thornton, those big plays were available downfield for Oregon to sel- selectively take their shots. And they did. Um, Troy Franklin's just really emerging as a premier wide receiver not only on this roster, but really in the Pac-12 and and, and possibly nationally a little bit. So, um, you know, it's pretty clear that the staff trust him. It's obvious that him and Bo Nix are developing the chemistry with one another. Um, it's, it's just kind of really exciting to see this passing attack, uh, the way it's developing. And, and you know, kind of backing up to Bo Nix, you know, one of the other things that I really liked uh, in this game for him was not only was he efficient throwing the football, he was very effective running the football. And I like that it wasn't, you know, he's not the type of quarterback that as soon as things break down, he's tucking it and running. He doesn't do that at all. But when he does see a really good opportunity, you know, he does take advantage of that. And I think that the fact that he's very selective when he does that makes him even more of a threat, uh, you know, at least in terms of having to respect that. Yeah. Hey, um, you talk about Troy Franklin and what he means to the receiving core. I'm curious, you cover recruiting, you cover this roster year in and year out. Where does Troy Franklin stack up with some of the other greats of, of say, this past decade now that you've seen Troy Franklin play? Yeah, I mean, it's still a little early in his career. I mean, we're only four games in. Um, you know, obviously that Georgia game is kind of a, a nullified game. So, you know, you're kind of talking about three games. Uh, he had some moments last year, but obviously the quarterback play wasn't really there, um, you know, with him to kind of get a good gauge on that. So um, I, it's a little early in my mind before we go saying, hey, this is the guy, he's the best organs ever had. But he is certainly on track to, you know, kind of at, at least end his career at Oregon you know, having made a big mark, you know, there's guys like Jeff Mail and, and Dylan Mitchell, and and there's just a lot of guys that have had good careers at Oregon in the past decade. But at least, how's how about this? At this point, this early in his career, I think Troy Franklin is certainly on track to be one of the best ones. That's for sure. Yeah, 
No, I, I wasn't ready to put the crown on his head. I just was curious, like, because I, I, I say this as somebody, you and I always take a positive slant, right? We'll take everybody behind the curtain. We don't bash on the Ducks that much. We don't, we don't talk up all the rest of the Pac-12 that much. It's usually pro-Ducks podcast, despite what some people may think. And over the years, I remember hyping up Micah Pittman, and Josh Delgado and Jawan Johnson, who I still bang the drum for. I love watching him do what he does on Sundays. Um, but I, I feel like every year we would pick a guy and we would go, yeah, this guy's going to be this incredible elite receiver. And it would never pan out. And yeah. now Oregon has but, that guy. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, it seems like every year we've kind of been teased with, you know, Chris Hudson's coming in, Josh Delgado's coming in, you know, you, you name it, the Oregon fans know the receivers that have come into the program. And uh, yeah, to have a guy like Troy Franklin, who was highly sought after, highly ranked, um, you know, a pretty elite guy having him come in. Um, and again, you know, last year, his freshman year, Anthony Brown at quarterback, you know, the Mario Cristobal offense, we're not going to beat too much up on Troy Franklin for his freshman year. But now we're kind of seeing him get his first, you know, what we'll call real shot, you know, in an offense that does take chances, that does throw the ball with a, you know, capable quarterback. And he's obviously, you know, making the most of it and showing both you and I like, hey, maybe this is the guy that we, you know, maybe hyped up a little bit and, you know, might live up to that billing. And it's it's certainly exciting. And, and, and you know what, I'll say this too, to go on top of that, because I think it's important. Not only is Troy Franklin a really good wide receiver, I think this is the most well-rounded wide receiving core that Oregon's had in a long time, meaning it doesn't just have to be Troy Franklin, right? You've got to respect Chase Cody. You've got to respect Dante Thornton. You've got to respect Chris Hudson. You've got to respect those guys. And then, and then once you've paid attention to those guys, you got to worry about Cam McCormick and Terrence Ferguson and possibly Bucky Irving or Sean Dollars or whoever out of the backfield. You know, there's so many weapons there that can catch the ball and get yards after the catch that, you know, obviously, in my opinion, this is easily the most well-rounded, you know, pass, we'll just call it a bass passing group that Oregon's had in a long time because it's not just, this team doesn't live and die on Troy Franklin. So like, oh, right. Troy Franklin's not having a good day. He's not right. catching the ball. They're doubling him. They're screwed. It's like, no, you're going to, you know, you're going to go ahead and double him. Well, Chase Cotto will just find the soft spot and be open or, or Dante Thornton will take a shot and run downfield or, you know, maybe Seven McGee will come out underneath and, and pick up yards underneath. Um, that's that's the beauty of this receiving group, which includes the tight ends and running backs. Well, you know, it's low-hanging fruit for you to mention Chase Coda to a, a kid born and raised in Medford and somebody that covered Chase just like you did uh, when he was at South. But I love that Chase Coda has shown so much more than he was expected of. Like, I, I remember... He transfers to Oregon, and for those who weren't that familiar with his game, they thought, well, 6'4", and a really good blocker at UCLA, so he's going to be a good blocker in the run game, and maybe we can throw some fade passes at the goal line. He's doing that, but he's also getting Oregon catches. Like, he had seven catches on Saturday. Yeah, I, I think the ex, you know, I think a lot of fans were, oh, you know, why are they bringing him in? They've got Franklin, they've got Thornton, you know, uh, you know, he's not going to play. You know, there was a lot of those kind of takes, if you will, 
on the Oregon boards, you know, when he decided to transfer to Oregon. And I, and I think that, you know, I think that was largely unfair. And I said that, you know, even before the season began, that's a guy that really knows how to get open, finds a soft spot in the defense and has, I'm going to guess if you ask his teammates who has the best hands on the team, they're probably going to say Coda at least five out of six uh, players will. That's my bet. And so there's definitely room and a spot for a guy like that on your team. I think, you know, he's a guy that Bo Nix certainly trusts, you know, when, hey, we need six yards, we need four yards. Uh, you know, we know Troy Franklin's going to get, you know, uh, he's going to get doubled. He's going to have over under. He's going to, you know, he's, he's going to be tough to get the ball to, you know, just, Hey, Chase, just go, you know, go hit the sticks and, and, and make a right and we'll get you the ball. Um, you know, I think that he brings a lot of that, just kind of that steadiness, that, that senior presence, that veteran, veteran leadership, um, just all those, they're, they're intangibles, right? I mean, you just call them intangibles and, uh, you know, best thing is he's a kid that loves Oregon, right? He grew up cheering for Oregon. Oh, yeah. His dad played for Oregon. His family loves Oregon. His cousins, Brady Breeze, played for Oregon. So, I mean, you're getting, you know, you're going to get 100% out of that kid at every practice, at every game, because he loves being being in Oregon. And, and I think that's a great thing as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you can speak to that better than anybody, because I know you were right at the forefront covering his recruiting process people might say, well, he doesn't really love Oregon because he didn't pick Oregon originally. But you know why he didn't pick Oregon, right? I, I think it was less about the Ducks and more about Chip. Well, no, no, it wasn't uh, It wasn't Chip. I think a lot of people forget that was the year that Taggart uh, was at Oregon. Right. Well, that's what, that's what I'm saying, though, is Chip was yeah. at UCLA. Right. And it really, it was, and honestly, it was even less about Chip. It was more about Willie Taggart and the vibe the family got from him. Um, and just, you know, there was really not a feeling of comfort there. Um, you know, they kind of felt like, you know, kind of fake sleazy salesman-y type, which, you know, we can kind of say that now years removed yeah. probably was a reasonably accurate assessment of that. And, uh, you know, I'm not picking on him, but the family picked up on that. It was a huge turnoff. And uh, I think it was a, I not I think, I know it was a really, really tough decision you know, for the family to, you know, decide not to have Chase play at Oregon. And I would say that, you know, it's really, you know, Willie Taggart was here for a year. I would say that it could have been either head coach on either side of Willie Taggart, which was Mark Helfridge and Mario Cristobal had been at Oregon. Chase Cota would have signed at Oregon, but it just happened to fall into that year that it was Willie Taggart and it wasn't a fit. So he went to UCLA and, and, I don't know. Here we are full circle, right? Now now he's back in Eugene and that, and I think, you know, it's a great story, right? He gets to graduate a duck and his family's going to the games and and enjoying his final season, you know, here in Eugene and to boot, he's having a good season. There's a great quarterback there for them and the offense is throwing the ball, so I guess that's a win all the way around for everyone. Yeah. Okay, so I've got one more question about the game and then I want to go full circle and kind of react to the game. Mace Funa's pick six. Where does that moment rank for you in terms of the biggest surprises in Oregon football? Yeah, huge, right? I mean, uh, I mean, you could have, you could have polled ten thousand people and said who's going to have the game-winning INT for Oregon uh, against Washington State, and I'm fairly confident out of ten thousand people, you might have gotten five to say Mace Funa total, um, just. <laughs> you know, completely unlikely, not the, not the way you would expect it, not the guy you would expect. Um, but really as 
good as Mace Funa did catching that football, let's be real. That was a really good call by the coaching staff to put him there. You know, obviously they told him, hey, look, watch for the screen, drift to your right. You know, don't crash down on the quarterback. He was in the right place at the right time, made the catch like he was supposed to. Um, you know, the touchdown after the catch was pretty awesome too. But um, yeah, that is a, it's such a unique moment. And it's such a unique moment because that game literally on the gamer thread and all over Twitter, you have people in the second quarter, third quarter, I'm turning it off. I'm going to go mow my yard. I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to go, I'm going to go watch paint dry, like just frustrated watching Oregon get in the red zone, not scoring, you know, not doing some things fundamentally right on defense, just a really frustrating game. And, you know, then you, you kind of get some kind of claw your way back into it or stay into it. However you want to say, you know, you get the points on the board and then next thing you know, you know what I think it was two plays later, potentially, you know, watch they get ball. I think two plays later, Mace Funa's in the end zone for six. Ultimately what we felt like was going to seal the game and did just an, like an amazing moment because uh, I just don't think fans really, I don't think fans really remind have reminded themselves just how hard it's been for Oregon to win at Washington state. And it doesn't matter who the head coach was. It's always been kind of this enigma for Oregon. And here you have a first year head coach, uh, really young, uh, a, a very young and green uh, offensive coordinator. You've got a quarterback at Oregon who's essentially in his fourth football game, uh, really his first road game in the Pac-12. Like pretty amazing set of circumstances for Oregon to pull out that win. And uh, I don't know, you just, I mean, sometimes I, I posted this and I know you know it, but literally it's just win, baby, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's just win. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're you're preaching to the choir there, and, and I believe it's it's not something that just my favorite NFL team should take to heart. It's something every team should take to heart. Like style points for Oregon don't really matter. You lose to Georgia, this team's not going to the playoff, and just try to win what you can in the Pac-12, win the Pac-12, get to the Rose Bowl, win the Rose Bowl. Style points don't matter. Right. So so who cares if it's a close game? Who cares if it's a nail biter? You went up to the Palouse. You beat a a quarterback that I think is one of the best, if not the best in the Pac-12. You beat a coaching staff that I think is is doing more with less than arguably any other staff in the Pac-12. And you won in a place that, as you said, has been difficult for Oregon over the past few years, right? Mark Helfrich lost here. Mario Cristobal lost here. And it very nearly happened to Dan Lanning, but his team was resilient. They scored 29 in the fourth, and they celebrate with a hard-earned victory. Well, yeah, here's here's the reality. Like you said, at the end of the season, okay, the, the voters or whatever, if they're figuring out where Oregon's at in a bowl game, assuming they go to a bowl game, they're really going to look at record. Okay. What's the record? Is it, you know, 11 and one or nine and two or eight and three, or, you know, whatever their record is, that's what they're going to look at. And then they're going to look at a few of the wins, make sure it's quality wins or make sure that the losses weren't bad losses, whatever the case might be. That's what they're going to look at. And I suppose if, if it gets absolutely finite, maybe they'll look at some of the scores, but that's pretty, that's pretty far down the list and pretty unlikely. And realistically, secondly, just so we can take the Oregon component out of it, 
Okay. USC barely beat Oregon State, right? Probably really didn't have any business winning that game either. But if USC can continue winning and, and have a good season and end up wherever they might be, once again, they're not going to look at USC and be like, oh, well, you only beat Oregon State by three in Corvallis. You know, they're not going to look at that. Not that, no, you got the win. Okay. You're going to, you know, we're going to put you into the Rose Bowl or we're going to put you in wherever we're going to put you. Um, you know, so I, I just feel like the, the, the win margin is minimal. The, again, I'm going right back to it. It's just win, baby. Just get the damn win. Go home. Try and stay healthy and get ready for whoever's next, which just happens to be Stanford for Oregon. Yeah. Stanford, eight o'clock kick. We'll talk about that in a pod later this week. But, um, yeah. Well, and the and the best part, and to finish that note, the best part is that should easily be your toughest road game all season outside of a bowl game. Yeah. Oh yeah. No doubt about it. <laughs> I I I still I know they lost. I still like that Wazoo team, and and I wouldn't be shocked if they win the North. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are questioning why that team is not in the top 20 or 25 at worst right. and they're probably right and now the only problem is 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 your you know your your big win at the moment is wisconsin who's clearly showing that they're not that great of a football team but still you shouldn't take too much away from washington state for going out and doing what they're supposed to do uh cameron ward is a phenomenal quarterback played a hell of a game he's just so dynamic and hard to guard and, and just does so many things they've got good wide receivers they've they're very physical at the line of scrimmage and they get right after you on defense so yeah i agree with you you know if if we're looking at a power ranking which i know the power pac-12 power rankings are out there but if you're talking about those you know again i've said this before say it again i think there's really good parity in the pac-12 this year it's the good parity there's yeah. good teams at the top Outside of maybe Colorado and maybe Arizona a little bit, nobody's like that bad. Colorado's pretty bad. But everybody else, <laughs> you know, seems seems to be relatively competitive. ASU, we don't know. Um, but, you know, you look at Washington State, you look at Utah, you look at Cal, who's actually getting a little bit better here and there. Obviously, USC is good. UCLA seems to be pretty good. I mean, I'm just rattling off teams, Oregon State, I mean, Washington State, Washington. There's really good parity in the Pac-12 this year, and Washington State is is very deserved to be, you know, in a top five, top six of, of, of any Pac-12 power ranking right now, despite that loss. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you mentioned the Huskies. Now, we're not Husky fans, right? This is a Ducks podcast. I'm a lifelong Oregonian. You're an Oregonian. You cover the Ducks. Did you know that the uh, the quarterback with the most passing yards in the country right now is your favorite last name in Husky Purple and Gold? The the Michael Penix Jr. Show. <laughs> hey, he's a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback, and you know, credit Kalen DeBoer for bringing him in and knowing that he needed a quarterback there to run his offense. Uh, they're a good team. Like Washington's a good team. I'm not going to sit here and be a duck homer and say, oh, they're slouches. They suck. I think, you know, I that's going to definitely be a great game this year. Looking forward to it. But, uh, yeah, Washington's a good team. You know, that, that Apple Cup, it certainly looks like it's going to be an amazing game this year uh, with Michael Penix and, and uh, Cameron Ward going at it with each other. But, yeah, I, I, I am super excited for this Pac-12 season because of all of these uh, solid teams. Yeah. I, and and yeah, um, now let's go full circle. So Oregon wins that game, like you said, they just win that game. 
Pac-12 North kicks off with a W. How do you think the rest of the conference slate goes? Are we looking at a Pac-12 North champ? Well, I mean, I, 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 there is no North and South this year. So they've done, remember, this is the first year we've done away with that. So it's really, it's oh the top God. two. Oh my God, yeah. I, I, I'm, yeah, no, my I, bad, I, my bad. I, I thought that was I next screwed year. that up too, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's, it's this year. It's the top two. So in terms of, uh. of North and South, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, we go circle back. It's once again, just win, baby, because ultimately your schedule is going to kind of determine, you know, if you're in the conference championship or not. But if we were taking the old Pac-12 North, which has Washington, Washington State, Oregon, as we know in it, um, I mean, it's certainly an amazing conference and division. But, um, yeah, it, that doesn't matter anymore. It's uh, once again, it's, it's just win and, and beat whoever's on your schedule. Okay. Well, there you go. So right now, I mean, it's, it's still uh, anybody's ball game. But right now you're looking at Oregon hasn't lost yet. USC hasn't lost yet in the Pac-12. I would love an Oregon-USC Pac-12 title game. And that's the only way they'll play this year is if that, you know, if that becomes the conference championship. So certainly it would be interesting because those two teams have no uh, lost love for each other. So, uh, yeah, and, and I guess the good news is right now the schedule is fairly, we'll just say winnable for Oregon for the next month, yeah. five weeks, whatever it might be. Oh, yeah. And then it gets pretty tough at the back end. You know, you've got Utah and Washington and, and Oregon State there in, in like three of the final four, whatever it is. But um, yeah, right now, if you're Dan Lanning, you've got some some games ahead of you that that should be winnable and give you chances to maybe move pieces around or get guys healthy or, uh, you know, just kind of tweak things and get ready for that very difficult stretch at the end. Yeah, yeah. I have a hunch that the game we're going to talk about in the uh, podcast later this week, Oregon-Stanford, 8 o'clock kick Saturday night. It's going to be a little bit easier than the game we just spent 30 minutes on. My name is Matt Bagley. I'm joined, as always, across the magic of the interwebs by Justin Hopkins, beat reporter at Scoop Duck. And we'll be back later this week with a Oregon-Stanford preview pod. So stay tuned for that. As always, I want to thank you for listening, and go Ducks.